scary basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, which is full of sticky demons, a massive spider weaving an admittedly mediocre web, two Cerberus dogs for a total of six heads, and old acquaintance we wish would be forgot. I'm Mikey McCaller. And I'm Roxy Polk. Roxy, let's start out as we always do with the scariest things that happened to us outside the scary basement this week. Roxy, what happened in your life outside this basement that spooked you to your very bones? Well, this being our last episode of the year really put things in perspective, and it made me realize that 2021 is over, and it feels like only a month went by. So the passage of time is the scariest mm-hmm. thing that happened to me all year and You're this one year week. closer to death. It's, it's true. So are you. So is everyone and listening. <laughs> Since you know specifically when you're going to die, you know exactly, like, the time is so much more valuable to you. Ever since you accidentally ran over that old crone and she whispered the day of your death into your ear. (laughs) It it was real bummer. I can't believe she did that to me. I mean, she was fine. She got up and she whispered that to me and then she walked off. She was just mad. That's the thing. Like, if you had really hurt her, I'd be like, yeah, take away all the joy of living life by Roxy by telling her the exact expiration date. But the fact <laughs> that she did it to you when she was okay was just petty. Yeah, she's just she was just annoyed with me, which, I mean, I did hit her with my car, so fair. I would be annoyed, yeah. too, even if I'm an immortal being. But uh, still rude, I think. Thumbs down. What about you, Mikey? What happened to you this week? Roxy, I came this close, and I am holding my thumb and forefinger very close together. Yes, it's to- very tiny. Small space. Taking my Xbox One and putting it in my car and driving to GameStop and selling it in hopes what? of getting an Xbox Series S. Oh, okay. I was like, why would you get rid of your Xbox? Why keep but it? Like, You're doing it to upgrade. Gotcha. Well, I was going to upgrade because I was like, I want to play this new Halo. Uh-huh. But like Xboxes are hard to find right now. So I was like, I'll just sell it. And then whenever I find one, I'll get it. But I was like, yo, I can play the new Halo on my Xbox One. Somehow, I just, like, didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I thought. Also, yeah. so, so confused. It was stupid. And it was scary. And I had my Xbox just unplugged, sitting on my desk for, like, a week. I finally loaded it up, took it in, and then I was like, what am I doing? And I just drove home and hooked it up and played Halo. There you go. Well, it sounds like it's overall a good thing for you this week. So, you made something good out of something bad? Unfortunately, Question the mark? old crone did tell me exactly when. My Xbox will die. Did you, like, hit her with your Xbox on your way to GameStop? <laughs> yeah, like like how in pro wrestling, how they, like, hit them with the championship belt. I just, like, held Close the Xbox liner. and leapt at her with it. Testament <laughs> to uh, how hardy it is. It did not break and allowed you to play Halo after that. So uh, I think maybe this is the one. Maybe you should keep it, Mikey. Yeah, but the save file does have the name of the old crone. <laughs> been na- oh, been named so she's going to get crone. all of your achievements. Yeah. She's going to get all your achievements, Mikey. That sucks. I'm not stoked about it. Oh, boy, here he is. The demon bot. It's the lightning. He's here. Mikey and Roxy, you were tasked with watching the 1968 film Rosemary's Baby, directed by Roman Polanski and starring Mia Farrow, John Cassavetes, and Ruth Gordon. Did you watch the film, or your soul's forfeit? Yep, I, I, yep, I saw it. Yes, I did watch Rosemary's Baby. Good, then you may keep your souls. (laughs) Hey, I bet this time he's gonna just let us keep it for good, right? I love your, your optimism, Mikey. Fresh start. Yeah. Yep. For now. Mm-hmm. Ugh, every year, it's always the same. Uh, maybe, maybe he'll make a New Year's resolution this year, Mikey, to not do that anymore. <laughs> Demon Bot, I'm hoping that your New Year's resolution is to stop taking our souls. <laughs> I can't stop doing something I haven't done yet. One of these days, I shall find a film that you are unable to review, and then I will claim your souls. We'll see. Okay. Roxy, we did have to watch Rosemary's Baby, a seminal film from, I think, 1966. I don't know. That's the year they mentioned in the movie. For anybody who is at the basement door with a glass pressed against their ear and the floor, let's give them a plot recap in case they haven't watched it. What do you say? Yeah, I would love to do that. Great. We open Rosemary's Baby on Mia Farrow playing the titular Rosemary. She's checking out an apartment with her actor husband, a guy named Guy. 
What was once a massive unit has been divided into multiple units, and despite the fact that its now-dead former owner seemingly barricaded a door connected to the other apartment shut with a cabinet, Rosemary and Guy like the place and decide to move in. Uh, They then have a farewell dinner with their soon-to-be former landlord, Hutch, who tells them about a lot of mysterious goings-on at their new building. Apparently witches lived there once and tried to conjure the living devil. Also, someone was eating babies, so it seems like a nice neighborhood. Doing laundry at her new place, Rosemary meets a young woman who is staying in the apartment next to hers with a kindly old couple called the Cassavettes. The next night, Rosemary and Guy find this young woman dead on the sidewalk, having jumped out the window, and then they meet the returning and not quite sad enough Cassavettes, Minnie and Roman. Rosemary and Guy have dinner with the Cassavettes, and while Guy is initially apprehensive, he comes to grow fond of Roman and his wild stories. Soon, Guy is hanging out with Roman alone, while Minnie is constantly barging in on Rosemary, eventually giving her a devil orb necklace that smells really terrible. Later, Rosemary and Guy have dinner, only for Minnie to bring over a chocolate mousse for them both to enjoy. Or as she calls it, a chocolate mouse. (laughs) She seems quirky. (laughs) Rosemary eats just enough to not completely lose consciousness because goddamn is that chocolate mousse laced with something. Rosemary passes out and wakes up to find herself being banged by the devil. The next morning, Guy tries to explain that, no, she didn't have sex with the devil while she was unconscious. She had sex with him while he was unconscious. So that's a good explanation, you creep. Yeah, it's not great. Not even a little. Rosemary soon find, finds out that she's pregnant, and she's overjoyed about this. She tells Guy and the Cassavettes. They set her up with a doctor, Abe Saperstein, who prescribes Minnie to make Rosemary a weird drink every day for some reason. Like, that doesn't seem like doctor's orders. Most doctors do that, right? They're just like, oh, you know your friend? They're but, part of the treatment. <laughs> yeah, this random old neighbor that you didn't know until like a couple of days ago. Yeah, she's, she's your doctor too now. That former landlord Hutch comes over to see Rosemary in her new apartment and finds the newly pregnant Rosemary looking quite ill. Roman also comes over, coincidence, and he and Hutch stare each other down like prize fighters about to go at it for the belt. When Hutch leaves, he's missing a glove. The next night, Hutch calls Rosemary and asks her to meet the next day. The meeting never happens, though, as Hutch completely ghosts her. Rosemary calls his apartment to learn that Hutch is in the hospital having fallen into a coma. Literally moments after talking to her on the phone. It just just happened. Rosemary and Guy spend New Year's with the Cassavettes. Oh, this is my favorite scene. (laughs) Roman cheers to 1966, saying it is the year one. (laughs) Which nobody comments on, but God, sure felt scary in the moment. It was very strange. This leads Rosemary to throw a party of her own with just her non-elderly friends. Here, she finally tells someone else how horrible her pregnancy has been, that she's been in pain for months. And sadly, to make things even worse, Hutch dies, but not without first leaving Rosemary a book on witchcraft. Soon, Rosemary discovers a young Roman is mentioned in the book, his father having been the man who summoned the living devil. Scared for her baby, Rosemary decides to cut the Cassavettes out of her life entirely. When she mentions this to Dr. Saperstein, he tells her that Roman is dying, and that he was waiting to take the final trip after Rosemary had the baby. Now, he's free to go, and soon the Cassavettes move out. But then, wouldn't you know it, Rosemary learns Dr. Saperstein is a devil boy, too. She goes back to her original doctor, Dr. Hill, and pours out the whole devil story. Dr. Hill, though, he's just as afraid of Abe Saperstein as Rosemary is, and he immediately sells Rosemary out to the good doc. When Guy shows up with Dr. Saperstein, he takes Rosemary away. Rosemary tries to make her escape, but is quickly caught by Saperstein and sedated. When she wakes up, Saperstein and Guy tell her that she had the baby and it's died. But then Rosemary hears a baby crying through the walls. So she moves that cabinet aside and breaks into the next apartment through the closet. There she finds a damn hell party is going on. The Cassavettes and Guy are all standing around with a bunch of normal looking people and a black bassinet in the middle of the room. Rosemary approaches, knowing her baby is inside, but is horrified by what she sees. She asks what happened to the baby's eyes, to which Roman replies, he has his father's eyes. The party then breaks into choruses of Hail Satan, and this is the year one, and God is dead and Satan lives. The movie ends with a resigned Rosemary rocking her Antichrist baby to sleep, deciding to actually, in fact, be its mother. 
Oh, what a movie. It is intense. <laughs> I, in my head, think of this as a New Year's movie, but there's really only one New Year's scene. But the the constant refrain, not, it's not a constant refrain, they only say it twice. This idea that, like, it is the year one year is one. so haunting to me. It's so horrifying and so funny. And I love devil stuff so much. I just love, <laughs> I love this movie so, so much. I think it's so funny. I think the cast of Vets rule. I think Rosemary is awesome. I think this like hopelessness in like the face of joy that she's like experiencing. Like she wants to get pregnant so bad and it's so hopeless and so sad. I just, I, I, I love every second of this movie. What did you think? Um, I think this movie, like, paved the way for a lot of things that came after it and has, like, influenced so many things that by the time I actually saw this thing, which was, like, so influential, it felt like I had kind of seen it before to an extent, mm. which is not the movie's fault in any way, because, like I said, it's the one that set the standard. It's the thing mm -hmm. that people have been emulating or inspired by. But th this movie is, like, two hours and 16 minutes long, and it it, it was too long for me. I think because there, there's does. a lot of downtime, a lot of like very similar scenes that happen where the gaslighting gets worse. And I kept getting more and more frustrated at how awful everyone was being to her. <laughs> so like that was the true horror for it. It was like so frustrating in the way they gaslit Rosemary for the entirety of it. That I was just like, I can't take two hours of them being so horrible to this mm. woman. <laughs> I can take an hour and a half though. <laughs> I could see this movie it, it's it's so interesting to me because it I, I agree like when I saw how long it was I didn't remember it being that long and there's a lot of scenes where they pay off a lot of things that they set up where yeah. like there's like a whole scene like Rosemary learns that like oh they took the glove because that's how you cast a spell to send my friend Hutch to uh, his death and I was kind of like they do it's interesting to me what they choose to explain and what they choose not to explain mm -hmm. like and like I, show as well yeah, I love that we never find out what exactly the hold that Dr. Saperstein has on Dr. Hill that makes Dr. Hill immediately sell Rosemary out. But like, I assumed he was I just in on it. To know. Isn't he just like in on it or? Well, he's like kind of scared. He's like nervous this whole time. And it's like, it's not until she brings up Saperstein specifically that he's like, oh, uh, Saperstein? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Like, he's got some sort of power. I wonder if he's like the leader of the cult. He might be, yeah. Because, like, I don't know if... So this is based on a book, um, and it's supposed to be, like, one of the best book adaptations into another, like, medium mm. that there is, because apparently it's incredibly faithful to it. Um, but I don't know if the book goes into more detail about, like, the structure of the cult, because, like, I don't know if Roman is in charge, or it's, like, his dad was. Mm -hmm. So does that make him in charge by default afterwards, or is Saperstein maybe in charge of it? And I don't know, I love that about this movie. I love how much is left to the imagination. Like, in the final mm -hmm. scene, when she's in this hell party, and there's just, like, all these people that, like, we've never met before, but they, like, seem to be powerful and important, and they've all come to see the living devil reborn. It's so scary, and it's, it's one of these, it, to me, it's the best example of, like, your brain can fill in these gaps. Yeah. And, and it's like, I guess that's why I'm kind of disappointed in, like, specifically the scenes where they, like, really explain a lot of the, like, why they took the glove and why the actor friend was blind. I was like, yeah, I kind of put that together. I know that they did it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Again, when I, Guy goes and starts meeting with Roman by himself and then the guy goes blind, it's like, I can put that together. Yeah. I think, again, it probably speaks to the fact that it this is, like, kind of establishing that formula where, like, maybe you don't need to go as much in mm -hmm. detail to it later because this movie showed, like, kind of a formula or, like, people have kind of figured out a way to um, streamline that, I guess, or, like, trim the fat on scenes like that mm -hmm. where they explain stuff. Her husband is so awful. I hated him so much. He sucks so bad. It's all his fault. <laughs> I thing. think he is the true villain of this he show. He is. At he, this show, this movie. Yeah, he chose his own selfish dream because he couldn't make it as an actor. He mm -hmm. chose to sacrifice not only his wife, but their unborn child. 
and any autonomy or choice she had in it whatsoever. Yeah. He just made this decision. And every time she tries to go against him or whatever, he gets like so mad and petty. It's like, you're doing this to me. Like, don't mm-hmm. do this to me. How dare you like be in pain for months and I don't listen to you and you try to do something about it or complain to your friends. Your friends are the bitches because they told you that it's valid that you shouldn't be in pain for months on end. It seems like your doctor's <laughs> bad if that's happening. Well, here's something like I like I, I when you say that like this movie is like all gaslighting, I, I think you're exactly right in that it never well, has not all, but like mostly. <laughs> there are very few moments of like victory for Rosemary throughout. Yeah, there's like none, honestly. There's there, are, when, there are moments where like or like she's uh, happy, but we as the viewer know she shouldn't be or right. something. Like it's any, very grim in that sense. Yeah. It's got this l- overview of like we know this is bad. We know what's happening here. Um, but like there's never a moment where we think like again. I don't know how much because you're right. There is like a lot of us osmosis. We somehow know where this movie is going before yeah. we. Uh, I certainly remember knowing where what was going to happen before I saw it. Yeah, but like same. the scene where uh, they throw a party. And Rosemary's old friends from her old life come and they're like, yo, this is fucked up. You got to change something about this. She also looks like death. The way that they show her slowly degrading while she's like in pain like this, like her eyes are sunken in. She's losing weight. She gets this haircut to like try and freshen up her look. But it just accentuates like how thin and like (laughs) gaunt she's become because she doesn't have hair framing her face anymore. because She's got Mm -hmm. this little pixie cut. Her friends genuinely care about her, unlike her husband and these shitty neighbors who, like, pretend mm-hmm. her husband is supposed to be the person who cares about her the most, and he obviously does not. Yeah, so no. It he's home even more. <laughs> he's history's greatest tool. Th- these these yeah. little tiny, like, it's almost got this noir vibe to it. The, one of the mm. defining traits to noir to me is, like, the, the hopelessness. You'll so often, like, open, I think about, like, Sunset Boulevard, which opens on, like, the detective floating face down in the pool. And then doing his voiceover narration. Like, we know this is going to end badly. And it gives you these little pinpricks of hope. But, like, they're they're always tainted by this knowledge that we know he's going to die at the end. All these little moments where, like, Rosemary starts throwing her drink down the drain that the Cassavet lady is giving her every day are, like, these little tiny victories. Yeah. Yeah, so you're like, yeah, do it. Yeah. Uh, when she, like, tosses her devil orb necklace down the drain, like, she, we get these little moments, but they're so, f- it's such a frustrating movie. Like, this movie. Yeah, ahead, like, it's it's frustrating. This is, this, I had to keep pausing it. It took me way more than, like, the runtime of this movie to watch oh, it. Because really? I would, like, have to pause it and be like, oh, I'm so frustrated <laughs> by this. Because, yeah, like you're saying, those those small little moments, then she'll immediately be, like, brought back or, like, eventually she ends up drinking the smoothies and eating these brownies that they're giving her again. You know, learning something about that little sachet thing and, like, what it's supposed to mean. She learns that it's bad. And then, you know, by the time she learns it, it's too late. She goes to the other doctor and it's he can't help you either because he's... Mm-hmm. I don't know, enthralled. Like, that. that's a good point. I just assumed that that doctor was in on it the whole time as well. Like, hmm. this guy just has reach, but maybe he is just, oh, shit, that guy's into, like, devil shit. I'm not going to mess with him, <laughs> so get this lady out of my office. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the, the thing I love about this movie is how, like, full the world feels. Hmm. It, 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 like, there are all these characters that we're hearing, like, in name only that exist out there, but, like... What's his name? Donald Baumgarten is the actor who goes blind. Oh, I feel okay. like I get that character. Like it's, I feel like he's talked about so little, but the details we get about him and like Rosemary eventually calls him to ask if her husband stole anything from him. Yeah. And it was like the details we get about him. It's like, I know who that guy is. I like uh, the cast of vets are just like, for me, the most joyful characters. They're so <laughs> silly and like charming, but clearly evil yeah they're so evil (laughs) i love them with my whole heart i love the cassavettes i want to write a sitcom about the cassavettes where they just are constantly trying like they're like wily coyoteing trying to get a woman pregnant with the living devil (laughs) and they just keep (laughs) getting foiled every episode Oh, it's so fun. This girl doesn't work out. That one doesn't work out. Oh, shit. Someone has discovered their 
dead bodies they keep in the basement. How are they going to get out of this one? <laughs> so well. there's there's this scene also. I need to bring up this random lady who maybe she's supposed to be a midwife or something. Who uh-huh. like towards the end she comes in and like she hates Rosemary and like, feels like she should be the mother of the Antichrist. She's so snippy and passive aggressive and rude, especially after Rosemary thinks the baby's dead. Like she's the one who's rocking the cradle too fast. And she's yes. like, stop it. Uh, Laura Louise. Okay, I couldn't remember what her name was. She's so, she was just like, oh man, this this character is making me so mad. Because she's like petty and thinks that she is more deserving in that uh-huh. moment to like be rocking the kid. <laughs> and then like yep. the cast of vet, uh, Roman, he's like, stop doing it. And like backs yeah. up Rosemary. And then the lady, as she's like leaving, she's like, well, <laughs> okay and like she sticks her tongue out at rosemary <laughs> as she walks away and i was like what is this <laughs> she's a child <laughs> that's what i mean though that's like such a perfect character because like i know that character i know yeah. that kind of woman yeah she wants to feel important and this was revolting. her moment to feel important and she couldn't and so she's gonna take it out <laughs> and be a petty asshole to everybody <laughs> this actually i think this might be the way we split on a lot of movies Mm-hmm. Where there's a term in pro wrestling called uh, kayfabe. Where okay. like, what's it mean? It's like a, a wrestling angle where a guy like punches you in the in the groin, like cheats to win, or like they say that like you're. Ugh, why can't I think of examples? I watch so much pro wrestling. Um, it's like <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I could help. When when a bad guy comes out and is just like Long Island, you guys are idiots, and the crowd boos. Like, yeah, he's doing the thing to make the crowd hate him. Yes. He's and and he's it's called kayfabe because you like keep that reality. And I think a lot of times when you watch a movie, you're like, I hate this character. And you're like, you're in on the kayfabe. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on board and you're just like, this character's evil and I hate them. And I'm watching it and I'm like, God, they're doing a really good job. Well, I mean, they are. I I appreciate that. It's why it gets me so bad because they're doing a good job at it. Like that lady was hilarious. And I was like, why is she even here? (laughs) It like (laughs) changes the tone of the scene while also like making it more goofy, but also more insidious that that exists within the reality of the movie. Exactly. It's very disarming. I think that's why I love that movie. That this movie feels, again, the world feels so full because it, it's so easy to say that, like, the devil people would all be a certain devilish way. But yeah. what we actually get is that the devil people are as unique and individual as human beings themselves. And that is, like, really beautiful to me. And that is, like, a thing that speaks to me about stories is finding out that these characters that should be archetypes and who maybe are introduced as archetypes are, in fact, so much more complex and beautiful and big than we think they would be. And I, and I just, like, am so enamored that there's, like, so many different kinds of people in this final party. I'm so enamored yeah. by all the, like, allusions to the Pope at the beginning. Like, yeah, how much I keep, Roman hates him. I forgot him. about that. Yeah, the Pope is, like, a whole thing. How he's in town and, like, yeah. Mary grew up Catholic. And I don't know if she's necessarily still practicing Catholic. But, like, as the devil is assaulting her. Yeah. Or is it a dream later? I can't remember. There's like several dreamlike sequences that kind of blend together in my memory. But like she dreams that the Pope is there and she's kissing his ring that is mm-hmm. like the horrible orb necklace she's been given. Yeah. Well, also at some points in the dream, and also I feel like these dream sequences are the most realistic dream sequences I've ever seen. The way they're shot and edited yeah. feels like how transitions happen to me in dreams. Like when it's she's being- claustrophobic also. Yes. No. Yeah. No, very much so. She's like when she is in the midst of the like process of being raped by the devil and the cult, she goes downstairs to the lower deck or she's like trapped in this enclosed space. Yeah. The only this is a weird thing. The only two black people in this movie, I believe, unless I miss them, was uh, one black man in her dream who is steering the ship and one black man who is driving the taxi to take her to that doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the guy on the ship is like the uh, elevator attendant in their building. He's the what? He's the elevator attendant in their building. So she's seen him in real life. And that's how he also manifests in the dream. Perfect. Okay. I didn't notice him there. Uh, That's exactly right. Because then he is like the ferryman. Like, black people are the ones who are taking her to hope. Right. It's it's been the person who is like steering the ship. And then when she turns away from him and goes down, that's when 
darkness uh, <laughs> succumbs her. The elevator man is the one who like takes her up to the elevator, uh, up to the apartment to like escape from Guy and Dr. Saperstein. And then also we have this black man who carries her in a taxi, theoretically to her last vestige of hope, this Dr. Hill. I don't I don't know what that necessarily means. And I don't know that that means anything in particular, but like it's so it, it just makes this world feel so rich that there's like kind of this foreshadowing of the taxi driver in the ferryman in her dream. It feels like there's kind of these hints going on that what is going to happen has already happened. It just makes this world feel so textured. I like this movie a lot, Roxy. I'd say part of that is probably also a product of it being a movie from the 60s and being directed by a white man and probably That's had something also, to listen, do with the Absolutely possible. <laughs> we're not thinking about that whatsoever. And I mean, there is like that magical black character archetype that is not mm-hmm. great, which he could be drawing on that. I mean, we haven't even talked about how shitty the director of this movie is. He's an absolute piece of shit. Yeah, no, he's a he's a Roman Pulaski. Yeah, he's a huge trash man. Yeah, child predator. Uh, yeah, allegedly. I don't know what the truth of this matter. No, he is, but. he ran away to France and lives there now because he can't be prosecuted. He's never coming back to America because of that. And uh, yeah. he's been having a fine career over there, making money. Uh, it's just well, unfortunate. All right, <laughs> good on him. Yeah. Uh, um, not ideal. He did make one of my favorite movies. Uh, so of this. All time. This movie deals a lot with gaslighting, but it also, like, in its final moments, deals with the fact of, like, can you love your child even if it's, like, evil? Mm -hmm. Your child is literally the Antichrist. Are you going to stay? Rosemary gets that choice at the end. Like, yeah, is she going to... She can quit out of this. They got what they wanted. They got an Antichrist baby. But then they're Mm -hmm. also like, but do you want to be the mother to it? Yeah. And it's like, also, we never get to see this child. She just screams, like, what's wrong with its eyes? You never see it. (laughs) <laughs> and it's got like an upside down cross hanging above its mobile <laughs> or like as the mobile <laughs> it totally like, does uh which is just so I, funny. I, I think we're starting to get into this the big idea of the movie yeah i can i tell you what i was thinking the the true horror of this movie was okay um i think it is the idea that we will never truly know another person no matter mm. how close we are and no matter how much we uh, have built a life with them and built a relationship with them. Yeah. The truth is that Rosemary doesn't know who Guy is. Yeah, which is and the most terrifying part. He turns out to be literally evil. Like they turn him <laughs> into as like objectly evil of a person well, the thing as is, they can. He he always was that. He just needed the opportunity. If he, he was given the choice like, hey, do you want to sacrifice other people so that you can get what you want? And his immediate mm-hmm. answer was like, fuck yeah, I don't give yeah. a shit about my wife. I don't. I'm number one. My career, I care about that. Mm-hmm. I'll let my wife get raped by the devil and yeah. <laughs> gaslight the shit out of her. Well, you tell me what you think about this. This is something that I've been kind of thinking about in relationships. And also blind- blinding his rival, too. Like, completely decimating his rival's life, not just taking his place. He yeah. he has bodies in his wake. Okay. Sorry, Mike. I just so want to like, yell about that. <laughs> you meet somebody who you fall in love with and you get married and you trust them and you love them. And then... You never think when you're dating somebody to ask them, like, what would you do if a devil cult gave you the chance to blind somebody and let me get raped and give up a baby once and then bring about the end of the world? Like, is your career that important to you? You never would ask that, right? Yeah. When you meet somebody, like, relationships are about two people and they're always growing. And you hope that you grow in the same direction. But I think what this movie keeps hitting at that makes me very afraid (laughs) is this idea that Rosemary grew in one direction and Guy grew in another direction. I don't think it's a coincidence that both Catholicism, which was part of Rosemary's past life, and her friends, who we only meet as an example of her past life, are the things that are saving her. Yeah. As Rosemary, like, she could change, and she does. She decides ultimately at the end to change and shift course to go along with her objectively evil husband. Yeah. These two people grew in such different directions. Like, he harmed her in a number of ways and harmed other people. Yeah. And she had this baby with him. (laughs) Like, she was wanted so badly to be pregnant. And she even says to him- Yeah, she wanted to be a mom. Yeah. Yes. She says to him- Right after um, Donald gets blinded, uh, she says, like, 
it's totally reasonable for you to feel two ways about it. And it's like, that's got to be how she's feeling in this pregnancy. She knows, I mean, she's first going through physical pain and then going through the emotional pain of being gaslit by this dude. But she wants a baby so bad. And we ultimately find out that she wants a baby so bad she is going to (laughs) sacrifice any hint of morality. (laughs) Well, just the rest of her life. Metaphorical. I think also it's because this is the 60s and it's product of her time. She doesn't have a career. She's just married to her husband. She's a housewife. She doesn't have anything tangibly that's her own except for this baby, I think, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why it's literally the only thing she can grasp at. So if she doesn't have that, like she doesn't have her life anymore. And I don't think she knows how she fits into a world without that structure. Yeah. Um, So I think it's like that hopelessness where she can't really see that you could just leave this cult, go off on your own. You've got friends, you know, you've got your probably your family that we don't really see, but we don't know that she has like a bad relationship with her parents or something. Yeah, we like, don't hear about she, them at all, huh? Yeah, they they just made a joke about how like, oh, the neighbors are taking care of you better than your own parents because they're mm-hmm. the ones giving her the energy or not energy, sorry, the vitamin, curse <laughs> vitamin drink every day and curse vitamin Yeah, Rosemary brownie. is like power walking around. She's just like, oh, oh let's fucking do coke and let's uh, trade stocks. Yeah. That's, the energy, like, that's what energy drinks do to people. To, exactly. That's that's what it does to me every day, Mikey. That's why I have to wait like an hour to record the podcast after I have one because otherwise I'm just not going to shut up about stocks you're, and how much you're you too need busy to trading trade stocks. Yeah, <laughs> give you insider trading tips. <laughs> I have to stop myself before I do that. I'll get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think she just feels trapped in every way of it, and it's like literally the last vestige of anything she can grab onto because she can't see anything else beyond it, which is also part of why it's so heartbreaking <laughs> yeah no it's an upsetting movie with like i always talk about like how uh, a lot of movies and tv shows i love are like cake where it's like okay i always say that like lost is like a character cake with mystery frosting like this show this i keep saying it's a show it's a movie <laughs> it's very but long I, it. I think is why <laughs> i want it to be a show because i think a cassavette sitcom is so funny <laughs> Not about Rosemary or the devil at all. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't care about, any about of the devil, but I no, mean, they're it's... they're clearly doing the devil stuff. <laughs> yeah, they are, but like, devil never shows up because if he did, then their job would be done. So they got to keep trying to do devil stuff, and then it fails every episode. The devil in my Casavetch sitcom is like how Martin Sheen was supposed to be in the West Wing. How like he they would was. always talk about the president, oh. but he would never appear. <laughs> Roxy, do you know the name of the actor who played Guy? No, I do not. I only know Mia Farrow. His name is John Cassavet. Wait, you're joking. That can't no, be real. That's what? That's his name. Yeah. But he's not even the guy who plays the Cassavet. What? <laughs> it's like, uh, it, it, that name is an anagram also. Yeah, no, pretty pretty wild coincidence, huh? <laughs> Is this one of those productions that was, like, secretly cursed? I know that, like, Roman Polanski's assistant died. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, during the production of this, but I don't know if there's any other things about it being cursed. Well, uh, it was a documentary. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, that's the most cursed (laughs) part about it, of course. How could I forget that? (laughs) Many did believe the film was cursed, including producer William Castle. He believed several tragedies following the movie, including the Manson family murders of Roman Polanski's wife Sharon Tate, were because of the curse. Adding to the distress was that one of the victims of the family the following night was named Rosemary. Castle lived in seclusion for the next five years out of fear the devil was out to get him. No, I, I like, I, we don't talk about this a ton, but this, I think that the... the the value that horror movies have for society is that we can kind of poke at some underlying fears in sort of this safe space. And for me, this idea that like, again, I don't, I don't think you can ever truly know another person. And this is kind of a even know yourself as yourself, you know, let alone knowing somebody else. (laughs) That's a great point. I don't know what I would do if I was offered like, I mean, the the, uh, killing uh, Donald Baumgard's site uh, is uh-huh. not dissimilar from the, like, would you push a button and you'll get a million dollars and somebody randomly will die? Like, yeah. I think the, when it comes to, like... like, moral dilemma. 
Yeah, my partner, I would not give her up to the devil cult. I'll, I'll, I know that Good. much about myself. Yeah, I, I... I don't know what I would do about a shitty dude. <laughs> That's enough about you, Who, too. like, keeps stealing jobs from me. Maybe I would. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to talk, Roman Cassavet. The thing is, I also wondered if he could undo the curse if he, like, got rid of the tie or something. I wondered mm. about that. I, which is not to say that I think the husband was even thinking of that whatsoever, but oh, yeah. um, <laughs> sure I, I, I do not think so. I think he would have killed him if it, he thought it served his purposes, but it would probably be too suspicious if he did, honestly. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the guy himself, is they're supposed to be friends. It's just his friend is more talented than him, so he's getting the parts. It's not because he's stealing them from this guy, he's just, like, mm-hmm. better at them. And that's one of the reasons why the husband is so petty. Like, instead of getting better at his craft, he's just gonna, like, take out his rival. <laughs> It's <laughs> another reason why he's so awful. But yeah, uh, I I I think that's like a very scary idea. Yeah, it's certainly no, it's probably like the most terrifying, especially when you're like dedicating, you know, the rest of your life essentially. Right, is what you've chosen. Christ Almighty, it's scary, Ugh. Mikey. What a movie, uh, Roxy. <laughs> do you have a question for me? I sure do. So, um, I I'd say this is a pretty cursed apartment building. Uh, So I want to know, what is the most cursed apartment or house you have ever lived in? Well, I am somebody who doesn't care where they live. Like, I Uh I just need, like, my private space with a TV and uh, a PlayStation and an Xbox and a printer scanner. Okay. (laughs) So my cursed apartment is not necessarily uh, a crappy apartment. I've had a few, but they've all been fine. The worst apartment I've ever lived in was with these two girls that I lived in Koreatown in Los Angeles with them. And they were like mean girls. Oh, (laughs) okay. Really really, like mean and like cold to me. And it was really upsetting. And it was one of those like kind of people who were just like, okay, can I tell you about what my friend did to me tonight? And then they would tell you a story and you'd be like, oh, you were 100% in the wrong there. That was horrifying. But, like, she wants you to agree with you. Exactly. With her. She's like, can you believe they would say that to me? And I'm like, yes, they needed to say that to you. Somebody yeah. needs to say that to you. <laughs> oh and um, I was, I've always been, like, kind of into baking. And this was a girl oh, who... Oh, I didn't know this about you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I stopped doing it for a long time. I had a... Huh. That's cool, though. A little phase where I was into baking. And I made cupcakes for a friend of mine's birthday party. Uh-uh. And while I was living in this apartment... And I took them over to the party and uh, ended up sleeping over there. Mm-hmm. And the next day I came back and she was like, the this girl I lived with was just like, you left, you got cocoa powder on the floor and my little dog could have eaten it. And it was like, I know, like, I didn't leave a mess. Like, I cleaned up afterwards. So, like, mm-hmm. absolute worst case, there's, like, dusting of chocolate powder in the, like, tiles you know what i'm saying okay. like in the lines in the space uh-huh. between tiles and i was like oh uh i'm i'm really sorry about that i will uh be more mindful next time and she was like okay and she walked away and then she came back like an hour later and was just like i just feel like you almost killed my dog and it seems like you don't care and i was like i don't know what to tell you i didn't almost kill your dog i would care about that uh sorry friend yeah, like, if the dog had, like, e- eaten some of it and, like, had gotten sick, like, that would be a reason to get mad. But, like, once you tell yeah. someone to, like, yeah, okay, you did this, please be careful. And you were like, yes, I, I will do that. Like, what? why, sure. why yeah. did you come back? Like, <laughs> She came back. It's because you weren't as upset as she, or, like, apologetic as she wanted you to be. Exactly. So yeah. she's going to try she and force you. She needed me to be on her level. And... Uh, yeah, and then it was not that long afterwards that I was like, okay, this is not working out. I'm going to move out. And she's like, okay, well, we're going to keep your security deposit. <laughs> so and you I can be like, to... you don't get to say that. You don't get to do that, lady. What the hell? Yeah. No, that is what I said. Okay, good. <laughs> like, did what you, you get mean, it back? What do you mean? What do you mean I don't? Yeah. I did end up getting it back, yeah. Okay, good. So yeah, that was just like a toxic little situation. Roxy, what was the worst place you lived in? So mine had like essentially two parts <laughs> uh-huh. Um. So when I moved to Portland initially to be an intern... I had to try and, like, scope out a cheap place sight unseen because I didn't live there. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So the place that I found was, like, next to one of the colleges downtown. So it was uh, renting a room in, like, a shared house and everything. Turns out I was... There's, like, one bathroom. I was sharing it. The the house itself was, like, two houses stitched together. Hmm. So the landlady, like, lived in the 
the house. So she had like her own bathroom that nobody else could use. So like 12 tenants who were included me, everybody else was a dude. I was the only girl there. So you can imagine how gross that was. Yuck. Having to share one bathroom. There's no insulation at all. There's no like central heating. All I had was like a heat lamp, like heater thing. You've seen those things that they look like kind of like a heated dish. No. You haven't? Okay. What does that mean? It's like a, it's a different type of room heater or like a what are those small heaters called? Why am I spacing on what this is? No, it's a heat dish. That's fine. Yeah, heat dish. whatever. You guys get. It. I don't need to explain. <laughs> I'm spending too much time talking about this thing already. Um but so like that was the only thing that could uh <laughs> heat the room. <laughs> I I brought my own like sheets and stuff, but I didn't expect there to be no insulation, so it was like super cold and I remember getting sick with like a flu kind of thing like while i was there because i wasn't i was traveling wasn't used to things really stressed out and also the first night i was there they weren't there to give me the key so like i almost had to crash on like one of the people who i was interning for their house or like they were going to put me up in a hotel room because they didn't give me the key when i first got (laughs) it that's like one of the most fundamental things a landlord should do is give you the key to the place you live so it, it was a fucking nightmare. And also all of these other people I was living with, all these other dudes, they're all like college dudes who, you know, maybe it's their first time living alone. So I couldn't and did not want to use any of the shared spaces. No, so don't. I tried to get out of that as fast as I could and was able to rent a room from this other lady who had an apartment. Um, and this is how it got even worse and into like a gaslighting situation where she was a toxic roommate. Because, like, the the dudes and the landlady from the other place were, like, ambiently bad. Like, they weren't trying to manipulate me. They were just going about Mm. their own lives and being kind of shitty. It didn't feel personal. But this lady was really weird. And Mm -hmm. she started off, like, after I had taken the room and stuff, she was like, oh, yeah, the person who stayed in that room before you died for, like, five minutes and then got brought back. They were a drug addict. Like, you don't do drugs, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Um cool okay uh and so she had like this cat who like she wouldn't keep the cat stuff in her side of the room she would force it to be like in the shared space like the bathroom and stuff Mm. i think once i was like plucking my eyebrows in the mirror or something and she was like make sure you don't put those down the drain i was like why why are you even like looking at me while i'm doing this let alone like commenting on that like whether i was gonna do that or not weirdo Somehow I pictured her, like, flipping the switch and you finding out that the mirror was uh, a <laughs> one-way glass. <laughs> but it, like, I better not put those down the sink. And she, like, told me. So, like, she gave me the room and then she had, because it was a one-bedroom apartment. So she sectioned it off where, like, I got the room that was right off of the hallway. And she got the whole rest of the apartment, which was, like, the living room and the kitchen. So it was like, mm. I didn't get to use a kitchen, but she was like, oh, if you needed to use a stove for something, sure you can. Uh, just let me know. And like, I used it exactly once, which was to cook a pizza. And she got really weird and passive aggressive about it at me too. Cause like, I had a friend coming over, we were like watching a movie and we just had a pizza in the oven because it's cheaper. And she was mm-hmm. like, I don't like that you used the, the oven. I didn't even come over to her side to do it. I, like, asked her to do it. So I wasn't even, like, encroaching in her space. And she was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to ever do that for you again. And I was like, but I thought you said I could use the kitchen sometimes. Like, I literally only used it once. Yikes. And then she had, like, some guy start to come over. Uh, so it made me, like, feel very uncomfortable. I was like, okay, I don't know who this dude is. There's not, like, a lock on my door. You had – the previous <laughs> person who stayed in this room was a drug addict. So I don't really trust her, like, judging people. <laughs> Um, and she was also someone who, like, did homeopathic stuff, so, like, she did not use, like, actual proper cleaning supplies and stuff, and, like, I wasn't allowed to use detergent that, like, had chemicals in it. (laughs) Anyway, um, I, I, like, cleaned up the apartment, left, I didn't even ask for, like, the half-month rent that I had paid, because, like, I paid, like, half a month, I was like, I just need to fucking get out of here. So, literally, I had my friend help me drag my stuff down, leave instantly, and, like, another mm-hmm. friend picked me up in their car so I could stay with them for a couple weeks and figure things out. But, like, she was screaming and yelling at me because she was like, you're you're horrible, I'm gonna tell everybody on Facebook about how you broke your lease, no, no, no. And I was like, I am, like, not even on the lease. You mm-hmm. li- literally scooted me in under the radar so you could get more money and then treated me like shit. Also treated her cat like shit. Like, I sometimes uh, wonder what happened to her cat. Because she didn't, like, Jeez. feed it properly and, like, would scream at it. <laughs> How often did you find the cat dead for five minutes? 
and then it and came then, back. Yeah, I feel like I've been talking about this for so long, but it was I, I got out of there. But uh, that that was great <laughs> learning experience. Roxy, what we, not to do? You and me have had some bad roommate experiences. <laughs> we, if we weren't spending so much time locked in a basement together, I would say we should be roommates. But um, hey, maybe someday. I don't want to live in LA, but who knows? Well, there's a, a, a cot in the scary basement, and uh, <laughs> if you ever need to camp out, oh, my living situation now is completely fine. No, no, no cursed at all. But uh, my first living experiences in Portland were absolutely cursed. To be fair, though, that cot, uh, it is like the bed in Deathbed the Bed that, that Eats. Movie. Deathbed the Bed that Eats. Yeah, okay, that is exactly well. what I was thinking of. <laughs> that cot is a uh, death cot, the cot that eats. Okay, well then, maybe I'll sleep on the floor. That's fine. On a scale from one to nine, because ten does not exist in the scary basement, how likely do you think the events of Rosemary's Baby are to happen? So I'd say a gaslighting shitty husband and your community who are gaslighting the shit out of you and you can never know. Nine out of nine, but nine I don't nine. think. But I don't think the devil part is real, so I'm going to talk dock down one point. So it's eight out of nine. Okay, I said four point five. Um, because I think you're right in the realism part, and I think we're not right in the devil part, so I just split it down the middle. Fair. I also think, listen, that devil stuff, that's a coin flip. That might might happen. Like, whoever wins yeah. the eternal battle between light and dark, <laughs> uh, God or the devil, I'd say it's 50-50, so I went right down the middle. Okay, yeah, no, that it's fair. <laughs> uh, Roxy, last week we made a bet about this movie. How many yeah. times is the word Satan uttered in Rosemary's Baby? You said ten. I did. I said 10. I said 8. Okay. The answer, Roxy, is 12. Oh, it's another week in a row. <laughs> they don't say it for like the entire movie. <laughs> and then at the end, they're like, hail Satan, hail Satan, hail Satan. Okay, <laughs> so it's like everyone in that room. <laughs> hail Satan heavy. Uh, yeah, so it's, they're basically all in the end. I think maybe Hutch says it early on. You might call it the living Satan. Oh, yeah, because they talked about how like the previous tenants or something, right? Yeah, so, Roxy, once again, you're the champion. Congrats. My goodness. Champion Fucking of the scary basement. Pump your arms. You did it. Yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> All right, here he is, the demon bot. Congratulations, you have successfully reviewed Rosemary's Baby. Your souls are safe for another week. Next week, you must review the 1998 film The Faculty, directed by Robert Rodriguez and starring Jordana Brewster, Elijah Wood, and Josh Hartnett. If you do not, your souls will be forfeit and I shall claim your bodies as my own. So, Roxy, we're going to watch The Faculty. Yay, The Faculty. <laughs> I love think, it. yay. <laughs> Woo! Uh, the only thing I remember about this movie is that Jon Stewart is in it, and they used to play clips of him getting violently killed on the daily show a lot so oh did they okay i'll look forward to that you get context for it finally after all these years <laughs> what do you say you and i make a bet let's do it let's make a bet for the faculty so there's gonna be like a cast of teens should we make a wager as to how many teens will uh, make it out alive yeah or teens or main characters let's say main characters because okay. yeah i don't know i don't know how many of the titular faculty are involved in the yeah ensemble so okay we'll say main characters how many main characters make it out alive all right so i'm gonna say number two two, mm, two characters. so you're saying probably like listen i know nothing about this movie it would probably be like the main guy and the love interest yeah the two yeah i'm gonna say three i think we're gonna get main guy love interest and some sort of comedic side player who we yeah, think I'm is dead for most of the movie but then comes back at the end comic relief yeah <laughs> i'd say that they're both solid genre bets so we'll see See what we get. Oh, we'll just see. <laughs> the pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. Whoever is closest to the number of protagonists who survive shall be declared the winner. The loser will spend the following week plagued by nightmares they are back in high school because they need to take one class or else their degree will be revoked, but they don't know where the class is and the school doesn't quite look the same. All right. So, Roxy, before we get out of here... What's making you happy this week? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I said it like that. 
Uh, well, since it's the end of the year, I'm going to be tackling something I've been meaning to do for a while now, which is like downsizing a bunch of the stuff I own, you know, caring mm-hmm. more about the stuff I have and getting rid of things that I have been hanging on to. Like some stuff was like, oh, I have an editorial credit in this thing, so I should keep it. But am I ever going to really look at this again? <laughs> mm. Or like, here's here's a book series I collected when I was a teenager. I'm never going to read that again. It's so, so joyful when you can just take. I just did that with like clothes. Like I had a bunch of t-shirts great, that I was yeah. never going to wear. I have a bunch of clothes too. I need to get rid of there also. It's joyful. <laughs> joyful I'm going to rid, get rid of a Keurig machine that I haven't used for like three years. It's just <laughs> practically like new. It's going to be great. I'm going to feel much more free, not tied down by stuff. And uh Get some money, too, because that's nice. That rules. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) What about you, Mikey? My thing that is making me happy is very similar. It's just the new year in general. I just love this fresh start. I love wiping the slate clean. Something I end up doing almost every January, I think just a couple years ago, I took an improv class about movies where you were doing improv based on like you'd get a title of a movie and you'd kind of like build out a fake movie and then you'd improvise the entire movie okay that sounds fun and i just so happened to take it like early in january one year and the improv coach like recommended like be watching movies like this week it's westerns next week it's rom-coms like so you know all the tropes so that when somebody recommends a movie you can like think oh here's all the scenes that are happening in that movie and so I end up every January, just kind of on accident, I set myself up with like a watch a movie a day kind of challenge. Oh. And it's pretty much the only time I watch movies <laughs> in my life. <laughs> in really? Oh. I'm really bad about watching movies. TV and video games, I got down pat, but movies I just miss out on. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm very excited to watch a month of movies. That's great. You got like yeah, a whole list set up or you'll just kind of like figure it out every day. I just watch a movie a day. We'll see where the world takes me. There you go. There's so many releases to catch up on. And January notoriously releases the worst movies, usually. So (laughs) you can catch up on good old ones and maybe see some ridiculous, uh, not good new ones. (laughs) I will not watch a new movie. Okay, there you go. Not in January. I'll tell you you that right now. Perfect. Uh, Then set. You'll have a great time. (laughs) Roxy, it's about time we get out of here. But as you know, each week, the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door to keep us from escaping. And yet, each week, we still escape. (laughs) This week, to get past the guardsmen of the basement, I'm just going to pop with them this bottle of champagne. Okay, I think that's great. Yeah, celebratory spirit. Who can resist that? So... We'll just pour a couple of glasses of champagne, Roxy, if you want to take that bottle. We'll just go up the stairs, see what's up there. Oh, no. What? Uh Uh-huh. It's a Yeti. Okay. As we all know, Yetis are allergic to champagne. Oh, no, Mikey. He's going to take us... Yetis are allergic to champagne! He's going to take us an insult! (laughs)